Welcome back to the Working Out the Inside podcast, episode 20, Codependency Nevermore. I'm Andrew Nargawala of Advanced Psychotherapy and Healing Associates in Creskill, New Jersey. Identifying details about cases I discuss in this segment and in the other segments have either been removed or changed to protect privacy and confidentiality. Two of the most persistent myths about the term codependency are, first, that it means simply to be dependent on someone, and second, that it only applies to addiction work, when actually it's a key concept in understanding any kind of relationship, business, romantic, sexual, parenting, and so forth. When we take responsibility for the behavior and feelings of another person, we risk being codependent, believing that we can control what they do. For example, believing we can fix someone, make them right, even without that person buying in. Like many negative things, codependency can start from a positive place. With our loved ones, we care so much and desperately want to see their suffering alleviated. And we're so close to them that we lose perspective. It's one of the reasons that psychotherapists have the strictest rules against having a dual relationship with a client. They can't be family members or business co-workers or have any kind of outside relationship with us when they're in therapy. When I started doing psychotherapy, I was struck that many parents, for example, when I asked them if their child were depressed, they would take that as a judgment on themselves And they would answer yes, even though there was no evidence that they had contributed to their child's low mood. And this is one example of codependency. The most popular and influential book on the subject is Melody Beatty's Codependent No More. And I highly recommend it as a primer on this topic. Recently, a former client called me and described how she would go to the doctor with her brother was in the advanced stages of cancer treatment. Her brother wouldn't talk very much either with her or with the doctor about the treatment, so she would answer the doctor's questions and say what she felt was best. Understandably, this made her angry, even though she had put herself in this position. And it didn't solve the problem with her brother's lack of communication with the oncologist, because the doctor still needed to hear it directly from him and work through what would be best for the treatment. Imagine how exhausting these kinds of relationships are. You want to help, and you think you're doing the right thing. You feel you can abandon the other person, but the core problems only get worse and negatively affect the relationship. A therapist could have helped her brother with the communication issues, but her brother refused to go to a therapist, and... So she stepped in and took that role, even though it wasn't the right thing ultimately for her to do. And she sees that now. You can see why substance abuse and addiction problems are rife with codependency concerns. People either desperately want to get their loved one's help, or if they themselves are in denial, they want to help their loved ones avoid treatment. So they'll go to almost any lengths to either arrange treatment or enable 
not going to treatment, but without the addicts themselves taking responsibility for their use, their own use. And addicts can be very quick to blame others for their addiction. Sometimes they bully, sometimes they play on guilt, anything to avoid taking the responsibility that they, they ultimately have to do if they're going to do successful treatment. How do we avoid becoming codependent? Or how do we treat it in psychotherapy? First, we have to remember how important the individual's own self-determination is. And therapy itself can sometimes be to blame when we forget this. For example, modern psychology tells us that certain activities or behavior will result, result in certain effects. If you raise your child with lots of hugs and praise, that child will turn out a particular way. And if you don't, another way. But there are countless influences on how human beings develop. How many times do we see, let's say, three siblings in the same family? And despite being raised pretty much the same way, they're all very different. Genetic inheritance, cultural influence, the child's own preferences and choices. These are all parts of one's identity and very unpredictable. I've worked with children who've experienced severe trauma and who are amazingly resilient and others who struggle very much with the same kinds of wounds. Yet there are parents who believe that even one major mistake in child rearing will doom their kid to a terrible life. Ultimately, there's no one single factor that determines who we are. Instead, our development is a lifelong process that can take many turns. Many times people say they don't know how to act because they never saw it at home. But there are many sources of modeling in and outside of the home that can affect us deeply. In the end, people are going to do what they're going to do. It may be something we have influenced them with, but it also may not. I once had a client and she'd agreed to do something that we discussed in our sessions. Months later, I was surprised to discover that she hadn't made the change at all. And when I asked her about it, she replied, oh, I was never going to do that. I just told you I was. And, you know, we laughed at her flat-out honesty, but the point was an important one. We sometimes think that we've caused some kind of change, but the other person isn't really having any of it. Most people just aren't that honest, as she was, to admit. They had decided to do what they wanted and felt they were right regardless. You can change. You can start to change, that is. Uh, you can start to do therapy or any kind of treatment, any kind of means of change for someone else, for a spouse, a child, a parent, even a court. But for that change to work or to truly take hold, it has to become something we do first and foremost for ourselves because we believe it's right and necessary and healthy. Codependency robs the person of taking responsibility, a core ingredient of change and of psychotherapy itself. It also distracts us from looking at our own needs. 
There's a saying in therapy, what does the problem do for you? When we are constantly trying to help others with things that they can only be responsible for, it's easy to overlook what we need to change in ourselves. So many people say they would do anything to save their marriage or anything to help their kids. Yet they also say that leaves them with no time or energy or money to work on themselves. If we are simply available to help without trying to control, then there's no need to feel guilt. No one is saying that we shouldn't help, but it's more from a mindfulness perspective. We're aware of what's happening, but have also stepped back with a healthy kind of detachment that allows the person to be responsible for his or her own issues. If they come to us with reasonable needs, it's a great thing to provide that assistance. And it strengthens the relationship because the anger and resentment aren't there, only a sense of working together. I know this is only a brief overview of codependency. It's such a, a big topic, like so many of the topics we look at. So I welcome your questions and suggestions as to what to examine in more detail, which aspects of this issue, and your suggestions as to other future topics for the podcast are always very welcome. You can leave comments and ratings and email me uh, directly. If you want to leave the comments and ratings, you can do that right on whatever platform, whatever source you're using to, to listen. And then you can also email me directly at amn219 at nyu.edu. That's amn219 at nyu.edu. Thank you so much for listening.